So this is the seventh week that we have gathered together specifically to pray for our nation, to show our love and loyalty to our country, and to call all of our citizens and our government to repentance. When we began these events, I recited this uh, very common and famous quote from the Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn to me and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Over the last few months, we have seen in our nation a movement among Christians to pray this prayer fervently and other prayers like it. And to gather together to seek the healing of our land. Last Saturday, nearly 500, a week ago Saturday, nearly 500,000 people gathered in our nation's capital. You didn't hear anything about it from the mainstream media. Nothing at all. Nearly 500,000 people gathered there to pray for our country. Basically, that's what they did. While this was happening, a handful of citizens, us, we were gathered in Crawfordsville at the Mary Canine Plaza doing the same thing. And I'm sure all over the country there are small groups and large groups of Christians gathering for this purpose because there is a, an awareness that our country's existence even is at stake. I've seen signs in front of local churches here in Crawfordsville saying pray for America and having certain times set up to do that. I believe this is a movement of the Holy Spirit. I really do. I believe that God is speaking to Christians. You know, we're not, obviously we have a lot of different types of Christians. We have a lot of different denominations some more orthodox than others. And yet, there, within each group, there are sincere Christians who really want to follow Christ and who love our country and want our country to be a Christian nation. And I believe that God is speaking to all those people. <clears throat> you know, for nearly 60 years, probably even longer than that, but especially since the sexual revolution of the 1960s, Those who are opposed to Christianity, to faith, to the sanctity of life, to the sanctity of marriage, to the innocence of children, have been quietly and sometimes loudly undermining the Christian foundation of our nation. This has been happening happening politically, it's been happening institutionally. And occasionally it flares up in overt violence, and destruction and lawlessness. Especially in these last few months, we have seen the most intense and continual, overt expression of this anti-Christian bias, this anti-Christian attack. And the results of this 60-year systematic tearing down of our foundation have been dramatic. Increases in child abuse, 
in human sex trafficking, in abortion, in divorce, in violent crime, in homelessness, mental illness, broken families, and countless other social ills, including the ominous growth of pedophilia. Now, the abortionists, for those who advocate for legal abortion, promised that legal abortion would ensure that every child would be a wanted child. That was kind of their slogan. That was their justification for abortion. They wanted every child who was born to be a wanted child. But the very opposite has happened. The very opposite has happened. While six, over six million babies have been put to death in their mother's wombs, countless other children have ended up being left defenseless against human trafficking, have been abused physically and sexually, have been placed in foster care indefinitely, have grown up in environments leading to drug abuse, sexual promiscuity, depression, and even suicide. Hello, come in, come in. This attack from within, this has, been a, this has been an attack on our country from within. You know, they, they, they make an oath, you take an oath when you are elected to office to defend our country from enemies both within and without. And of course, this, this kind of language is used in the Constitution. Well, our main enemies have been from within, not from without. We have experienced almost unprecedented peace in terms of a country not being attacked from outside, but we are being eroded, eroded away from within. It's really astounding in a way to think that this has happened without hardly any resistance. And this attack from within has come to a moment of climax, which will be determined on November 3rd, as our nation elects its, ne its next president. I really believe that we have come to a tipping point. If we do not move back towards our Christian roots, they repent as a nation, it may be impossible to ever get back to what we once had as a nation. I want to talk about our current president a little bit. I've been criticized by some people for taking sides politically. People say that clergymen really should not do that. Church, just stick to spiritual things and let the politicians deal with political things. That is not true. That is not right. And that is why we are in the situation we're in today. Because people, normal citizens and churches have stood by while Supreme Court justices and bureaucrats and other people have just stripped away the most important things in our country. <clears throat> And so I, I feel very strongly that it is appropriate for me to speak the truth about our current situation and com compare the two candidates for president. I personally do believe it does matter. 
Some, sometimes, some people, uh, I think that really it doesn't matter, that we're, we're just controlled by forces that are out of our control and that no matter who's president, yeah, certain things are going to happen. But I, I really do believe that it does matter. Not just the president, but the, the Senate and the Congress and all of our elected officials. And so I have to s- decided to take sides, and I believe that it's very simple as a Christian to do so, to look at, read the Bible and look at the, the values that are communicated in the Bible, the laws of God, and compare them to the platforms of the two major political parties in our country. I believe it's a very easy decision. You know, our current president, and may God be with him and heal him of the coronavirus and uh, keep his whole family safe. But our current president, you know, in spite of his obvious moral flaws, which are transparent to everybody, and his, you know, his abrasive personality, he actually has done many things in, in, in almost, not almost going on four years now, to try to restore many of the foundations of our country. He has built an economy that has raised many people out of poverty. He has used his executive power to enact policies to to defend the right to life. He has used his executive power to defend religious liberty and free speech. He is using his executive power to reestablish in our school system love and respect for our country and the teaching of United States history that is not from a revisionist and socialist slant. You may have heard that he, exa- he passed an executive order banning the, the uh, use of this new curriculum they've come up with that, that is uh, fascist and uh, socialist and Marxist. And he is proposing a, a curriculum that will be in the public schools that will teach traditional uh, American history and promote uh, a love for our country and patriotism. Some people think, well, he's just trying to indoctrinate our young children. Well, the program that they want to put in place is simply designed to, to accurately transmit our country's values and our history as much as possible. And the curriculum that has been proposed by the socialists is just the opposite. He has also used his executive power to undo the Obama-era regulations that encouraged transgender dysphoria in our school children. And he has tackled the very difficult and complicated issue of immigration in a way that no president in my lifetime has attempted to do so. You know, not everyone agrees with the steps that he has taken. The building of the wall, the uh, establishment of a merit-based immigration system, and the enforcement of current immigration laws. You know, and we, we all know people in our community who are here illegally. And we love them. We care about them. We would like them to stay in our community. And we even advocate for them in some cases. Pani and I have helped one such family to buy a home here in our community. So we don't deny the fact that real people are involved in this 
issue of immigration and people's lives are kind of hanging in the balance. But at the same time, we realize that their precarious position and so many other difficulties in this area are caused by lawlessness. Just not obeying the law, both the government and the people coming into the country, disregarding the law. And it is this lawlessness that has created so much trouble in this area. And no politician has had the courage to take it on, to really grapple with it. And he is the first president in my lifetime. And I've, I've, been, in, I've been voted for many Republican presidents who I really liked, and yet they, they didn't have the courage to deal with this issue. They just kept kicking it down the road, kicking the can down the road. But he has tried to deal with it. And he has made some progress. And our current president has done more to improve the lives of African-American people in our country than any president in my lifetime. And all the while being called a racist by the mainstream media. His opponent has a 47-year career in politics characterized by promoting abortion and tearing down conservative Supreme Court nominees. My first memory of Joe Biden is 1987. The confirmation hearings of a a nominee of Ronald Reagan named Robert Bork. Any of you all remember that? Boy, that was a painful time in my life, listening to those hearings. That was when I first started getting caring about politics. Voted for Ronald Reagan, and then I, I was an appliance repairman at the time, still am, but I was riding around in my truck, and I finally got a truck that had a radio. <laughs> so I started tuning in to Rush Limbaugh way back then. And when I wasn't listening to him, I started listening to National Public Radio. And they were covering, covering the hearings of the nomination of Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. And that was when a new adverb was created in the human language, the American language. The word Bork, to Bork someone. It's a, it's a new adverb. To Bork someone is to tear a person down on the basis of their philosophy or their beliefs. And that's what Joe Biden did and the other Democrats with him. They literally tore down this person's character, his reputation, they attacked him in every possible way. And that really set the precedent for what has happened almost ever since in our country whenever a conservative person is nominated for the Supreme Court. It's an all-out attack on that person. And Joe Biden has been at the heart of that. This tactic of attacking someone or borking someone has become so common today in the form of political correctness and cancel culture. BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement, has perfected this process and turned it into a culture-changing and money-making enterprise. 
As Christians, we need to stand up against this activity through prayer, through speaking the truth in love, and especially in this season through voting. We are supposed to be salt in our culture. Christ called us to be the salt of the earth. Salt preserves what is good and makes food taste good. If we do not vote, then we are not adding our salt to the culture. We're not doing our part in preserving what is good in it. As Christians, we always look to Holy Scripture for guidance and how we are how we are to live our lives and interact with the world. And as Orthodox Christians, we also have holy tradition and the testimony of the early church fathers to guide us in interpreting Scripture properly. And there is nothing in the Bible that specifically tells Christians to vote. You can't find it from Jesus Christ. You can't find it in the Old Testament. You can't find it from St. Paul. Well, this is because in the Old Testament, the, the uh, Israelites, they didn't vote. They didn't have a democratic government. And in the New Testament, the Christians did not have the right to vote. However, there are principles revealed in Holy Scriptures that make it clear that this is a responsibility and a privilege of all Christians. When asked about whether they should pay taxes, Jesus Christ said, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And I apply that principle to the subject of voting. We are also commanded by Scripture to pray for those in authority over us and to obey civil authorities. So the shape of our country is determined through the process of elections and voting. I still believe in that.